right now is how do you get to Carnegie Hall? And the answer is practice, 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 right? We're talking about spiritual practices, but really what we're ultimately talking about here is the abundant life that Jesus um, promised to us. Remember that he said, I have come to bring them life and to bring it in the full, or in some translations, to bring it abundantly. And we learned um, a, a while back that, that really that word means beyond imagination. It means just a whole bunch of life, okay? And, and we'd started to do some exploring and just saying, okay, when, when Jesus talks about abundant life, what does it really mean? And ultimately, um, what I think that it comes down to is that it means that we are growing to be like Jesus. That abundant life happens when we grow to be like him, when we learn to think like him, when we learn to act like him, when we learn to love like him, okay? That is abundant life because what happens is there's this amazing thing that occurs in us uh, when you give like that, you ultimately want to give more and you experience a certain amount of joy to it. Uh, I'm going to talk a little more about that next week, but that's an important thing. That's abundant life. I'll be honest, if you, if you talk to, well, virtually any pastor, um, but if you certainly talk to people on our staff, uh, we didn't get into ministry to manage budgets, to engage in marketing plans, right? Although we got to do those things, we ultimately got into this because we wanted people to experience the abundant life that is when we follow, when we find and follow Jesus, okay? So abundant life happens when we grow to be like, like him. But here's the problem, because there is a problem with that. First of all, growing to be like Jesus is not passive. Jesus is not a magic wand, it just doesn't happen when you sit there and if, if, I just, if I just sit and I just wait and bling, all of a sudden, I'm like Jesus. It doesn't work that way. The other side of that problem is you can't earn it either because this is something that God does inside of us. So it's not passive, but it's not something can you, you can earn. So where does that leave us, right? What, what am I supposed to do? Well, um, the thought is, is that um, we have to put ourselves in proximity to God, okay? We have to place ourselves where we can be connected to him. That's the effort, but when we put ourselves in that place, when we put ourselves in that position and in that posture, that's when God can do his work. Does that make sense? And what, what we do, what, here we call that spiritual practices. Uh, in some uh, traditions, they call it spiritual disciplines, but I just don't like that word. Okay, I like the idea of practicing. I need to practice this. And hence, how do you get to Carnegie Hall? Practice, practice, practice. How do you get to be like Jesus? Practice, practice, practice. Spiritual practices that put us into that position before God and puts us in that posture of receptivity so that God can do the things that only God can do. Does this, does this make sense? Are you tracking with me? This is all about abundant life that, that, that Jesus promises us. And so last week, we, we started with this idea of the practice of clarity. Practice of clarity. Just getting clear. Um, and, and the idea behind the whole message was that if we're supposed to be like Jesus... 
wouldn't it be a good idea to ask Jesus maybe what he has in mind for us? I mean, that's just a novel concept, right? You know, it's, you know, one size fits all, discipleship just doesn't work. At least it doesn't for me. And I would imagine most people are like that. And so why don't we check in with God and say, hey God, what is it that you want to work on this year? And so we, we talked a little bit about that. I gave you a method of, of doing that. We want to focus on one thing, maybe two, on rare occasion three, not a list of 15 things, not just you know four or five things, just one thing. Just focusing on that and saying, God, what do you want to do this year? And so, by the way, if you um, uh, haven't heard that message, I think it's up on the podcast, and I would highly recommend that you go back and listen to it, and I think there's also a link to the um, uh, worksheet, um, just for your reference. That might be a good idea. But the idea was to, to come up with this theme for a year. What's your theme for the year? So the question is, do you have one? How many people have their theme for the year already? Sweet. Good, good, good. Um, how many of you have already bumped into it a couple of times? <laughs> You're like, mm, yes. Okay, good. That's, that's a good thing. Um, I just want to remind you that when you're talking about a theme for the year, don't forget to find other people to encourage you. It's the one thing I can say in all of the years that I've done that exercise, I probably have missed the most, is not finding people where I just share with them, go, hey, this is my theme for the year, would you mind just checking in with me occasionally about it? Um, I got a couple of people that I do that with. Um, by the way, life group, great place to do this. Because that's what it's there for. We're supposed to be encouraging each other to follow Jesus, right? And so if you're in your life group and um, you're talking to them, just saying, hey, you know what, by the way, this is my theme for the year. And, um, you know, would you mind just, you know, praying with me about it? That would be, be great. The whole point of, of life groups is to encourage one another. Discipleship, believe it or not, happens best in community. Um, I think sometimes in our American um, style of Christianity, we fall victim to this idea of pull yourself up by the bootstraps. That doesn't mean that you aren't responsible for yourself, but, but this, this radical individualism that we tend to like here in the United States is not biblical. I'm just saying, it's just not. Uh, we are supposed to be a community who supports, loves, and encourages one another. And so here's an idea. Let's do that, okay? So let's start in our life groups. Or um, if you're not part of a life group, I know a guy. He'll get you hooked up. Be great. Love to have you be a part of that. So today I want to talk about a different practice. We're going to talk about the practice of prayer. And the reason why we're going to talk about prayer is because it's basically foundational to almost every other practice. It's the one thing that you see threaded out throughout not only the text, but throughout history as well. Um, there are some powerful testimonies throughout uh, history that how prayer is just this anchor point for discipleship. Let me give you a couple examples. Um, here's the first one is Jesus himself. Um, Mark, chapter, Mark chapter 1 very first chapter of this gospel, of this biography of Jesus, the author, a guy named John Mark, writes this. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Guy's going to be doing some ministry. Guy's going to be talking to a lot of people. Great idea to connect with the Father. Make sense? Right? 
the, uh, the apostles after Jesus left his, his disciples in uh, Acts chapter 6. Here it is. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. So apparently this issue had come up in the early church where the 12 uh, disciples um, were actually waiting on tables. And they said, you know, we probably ought to be doing that. That's not the best use of our time and our energy. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to, what's the word? Prayer and the ministry of the word. Those two things are, are so important. This is where their focus was going to be, to give our attention to prayer. Now, what's really interesting, um, just as an aside, if you want to do a great study, find out who those seven people are and follow them throughout Acts, because they end up doing some amazing ministry themselves, and they were, to, they were supposed to be waiting on tables. So God actually had other plans for them, which is really cool. But the disciples then focused attention on, on prayer and on the ministry of the word. Um, Martin Luther I have so much business I cannot get on without spending three hours daily in prayer. How many of you spent three hours in prayer? <sighs> yeah, <laughs> no hands went up for that one. Can you imagine? I mean, three hours in prayer. Now, I'll be honest, I have spent a length of time in prayer. Well, it was supposed to be prayer, pockmarked by little naps. Okay, I just, look, I, I'm trying to be completely transparent. Um, this is church. There, I confess. Now I can preach. Um, but to have so much business, I, I love this attitude behind it. There's so much business that I cannot get on without spending time. Whether it's three hours or not is entirely up to you. The point is, is that prayer became a pivotal part of Martin Luther's life. Um, there's a couple of Quakers, William Penn, uh, made a comment on George Fox. He said, above all, he excelled in prayer. The most awful living reverend frame I ever beheld, I must say, was his in prayer. People don't talk like that anymore. It's kind of a shame. I must say was his in prayer. I don't know what that looked like, but that must have been pretty cool. And then finally, um, John Wesley, God does nothing but in answer to prayer. I gotta be honest, I don't understand that. I don't understand that God chooses to work through human prayer. Uh, I don't, I, he doesn't need to, but he chooses to, and I'm glad that he does, but I think Wesley's right here, that he does nothing but in answer to prayer. Seems like to me that there's a lot of misunderstanding and, and really a lot of anxiety around prayer. Um, these days. I'll give you an example. When I first started seminary, I took a class with a guy. Uh, he was a Presbyterian, um, a systematic theologian, which means he was a pretty bright dude. And before for class, like a lot of seminary professors, he, he prayed. And he said, okay, let's, let's pray. And he would start praying. And all of a sudden, he was speaking a different language. These and thous and withers and thithers and, and, and I just, I'm like, what is that? I, I, it took me a while, and, and he said that it was just the way he kind of grew up, that he chose to pray in apparently King James English. And I thought, I 
I don't, I, I don't like that. And, and frankly, it's confusing when people hear that out of Christians, not so much these days, but it has been this way in the past. It's kind of confusing because people say, I can't do that because I don't know if I'm going to use the right word or not, right? I don't want to do that. And I completely understand that. So there's a little bit of anxiety that comes up with it. And so here's where I want to start today. I want to start with a simple definition, okay? Just a basic definition. Here's what prayer is. Prayer is just talking with God. That's it. Prayer is talking with God. Don't complicate it. Especially with words that don't make any sense to people, right? Don't complicate it. Think in terms of conversation rather than um, something formal. The, the people that I have learned the most um, from when it comes to prayer are the ones who just would just start talking to God as if he were standing right there. It was crazy, but it was an amazing thing. It was almost like, um, hey, you know, I, I hear what you're saying and I understand you're struggling, but Phil over here, he's got a perspective on that. Maybe we should talk to Phil. Only it wasn't Phil, it was God, right? It was an interesting kind of perspective to have and I always appreciated that about the people who I felt like were or those I could learn from when it comes to prayer. So I want to offer just a couple of thoughts on prayer for you, because I know most of you have been in church most of your life, and so you know all there is to know about prayer, right? Oh, good, you're honest too. That's right, that's good. So just a couple of thoughts. Here's the first one. Um, you probably have a little uh, a handout, hopefully, that you got, and uh, you can fill this in as we go along. Um, first of all, prayer is a spiritual gauge, Think of uh, your dashboard on your car and you got gauges. Not idiot lights, gauges, because you want to see where you're at, okay? Prayer is a spiritual gauge. Let me see if I can explain what I mean by that. <clears throat> when we're in a relationship with someone, we generally want to talk to them, don't we? I mean, think about that. Man, some of you wives are looking at your husbands, right? My best friend lives in Egypt. And when he calls, I pretty much drop everything to take that call. Because I don't get to talk to him that often. Um, that's a relationship, right? When, you, when you're looking forward to that call. Uh, if, if you and I are meeting and we're having coffee somewhere, um, the only time I will interrupt our meeting when my phone rings is if it's my wife. I love you, but I love her more and I gotta live with her, right? So that relationship kind of trumps everything else. And so that's the only time I'll interrupt our, our meeting. But when you have a relationship with someone, you want to talk to them. Now, let me ask a question. For those of you who are married, especially, um, <laughs> um, when, you, when you don't talk to your spouse, something's wrong, right? My favorite is, well, if he doesn't know what's wrong, I'm not going to tell him. Wait, what? <laughs> Can I do that? When you don't want to talk to someone, there's something off in that relationship. And so the, the thing that I want to just draw your attention to is if you don't want to pray, 
that is a gauge or an indication of how out of proximity you are to God. Does that make sense? And, and there, I've had those seasons too, especially if I do something I know I wasn't supposed to. Last person I want to talk to is God, right? Because he knows. He knows. I know he knows. I know that he knows that I know. But the point is, I don't want to do that. And so it's an indicator. It's a gauge. Your prayer life is a spiritual gauge as to where you are in proximity, your position and your posture. Yeah, like the couple not talking on the couch, right? They're, they're far apart from each other. Arms are folded. He looks bored. That date's going well, right? But that's the thing that I want you to understand is your prayer life is often a spiritual gauge or a thermometer. Pick, pick your metaphor. The point is, is that when you don't find yourself wanting to pray, there's probably something off. And my guess is it's you, something inside of you. Because I'm pretty sure God doesn't change. Is that you with me? Okay. So it's a, it's a gauge. Um, and we want to put ourselves back into that proximity. And the only way to do that is prayer. And by the way, let me just give you a quick little hint. <clears throat> if you don't feel like you want to pray and you realize that something's off, God has not moved and he would love to talk to you again. I'm just saying. There's, there's no harm, there's no foul. He wants to talk to you. Keep that in mind. All right, here's the second one. Uh, next blank to fill in. Prayer is learned. Prayer is something that we actually learn how to do. You are not born with the innate knowledge to pray. Okay? It's something that we learn. Consider Luke chapter 11. Let me show you this. Luke chapter 11. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. Hmm, sounds kind of like Mark chapter 1. When he finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Okay, let me put a little context around this first. All Jewish men had certain prayers memorized from the time they were very, very small. Okay, there were certain prayers that all specifically Jewish men learned. All Jews did, but Jewish men. And I hate to tell you this, but one of those prayers was, thank you, God, for not making me a woman. True story. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not arguing for that. I'm just saying that's the way it was. But there were certain memorized prayers that Jewish men had. And you would pray them in the synagogue. Um, common practice was for certain rabbis, like John the Baptist, to teach his disciples other prayers, specific prayers. And so here you have a group of, of Jesus' disciples who had been hanging out with John's disciples and because John and Jesus are cousins, right? And they're, they're, they're seeing this and they're saying, hey, wait, this is important to you. This is important to your ministry. You're asking us to do this ministry. Hey, wait a second. Would you mind teaching us how you pray kind of like the way John does with his disciples? I mean, it's really an amazing kind of scene where they're noticing something about Jesus, about his practice, and they're saying, hey, I want to emulate that because there's something about this that's truly important. And so they waited, and they, they made the ask. They asked the question. 
that prayer is learned should be very liberating for us. It should be incredibly liberating. Why? Well, because it gives you a certain amount of freedom. You're free to experiment. Some of you know I love to experiment. It gives you freedom to do that. You can experiment with things because it's a learning process. It also makes you free to make mistakes. There is nothing that you can do in prayer that God can't fix. I mean, you're not, you're not going to blow it, okay? If you're praying about something, you're not going to blow it. You can make mistakes. That's okay because then you can adjust. You can learn. You can do something, do something else. And it also frees you to ask questions, to ask questions of God about how do I pray? Lord, what should I pray about in this? You don't have to know those things. Very often, I have to pray with people. And a lot of the times, I sit there and they're talking to me and I'm like, I have no idea what to pray about. But let's pray anyway, right? And you, sometimes you just get started and something will happen and you, you have the right words. That's the spirit moving in you, okay? Consider this um, thought. <clears throat> When our prayers seem unanswered, we can explore why and we can adjust. Now, <clears throat> when you walk into a room and it's dark, your hand typically goes and searches for what? A light switch. And when you flip the light switch, you expect something. What do you expect? Light. Right. Now, here's a question. When you flip the light switch and the light doesn't come on, do you question the existence of electricity? No! No, you don't. You don't question the existence of electricity. You presume that there's a disconnection somewhere in the circuitry. You presume that there's something wrong. You presume that something is off. Prayer is like that. Okay? If you're not getting the answer at all, or if you're not getting the answer that you're hoping for, there's a good question that there's something off in the circuitry, not that God isn't there. Does that make sense? That illustration to me is incredibly liberating. And because it's a learning process, I am now free to ask the questions, what's wrong? What do I need to do different? How do I adjust my position, my proximity, my position, my, my posture with God in order to pray effectively for someone else. Are you with me? Think about it that way. I think that's very important. Instant gratification is not your friend. Just saying. Here's a third point. <clears throat> Prayer starts with listening. It starts with listening. Remember, we were talking about this idea. Our basic definition is that it's talking with God. We're thinking in terms of conversation. Now, those of you who are married, <clears throat> if, <laughs> if you walked in every single day and sat down with your spouse, and the only thing you did was tell your spouse exactly what you needed from them or what you wanted from them, and then threw a thank you in, in Jesus' name, amen, and walked out, how long of you would, how many of you would actually still be married? Not many, right? When we treat God that way, 
it's no wonder that our spiritual lives seem out of sync. Does that make sense? Now, that's not to overwhelm you, but that's just to think in terms of, you know, God is not a cosmic slot machine. I put in my prayer, I pull the lever, and out the blessings flow, right? Doesn't work that way in the casino, it doesn't work that way with God, because he's not that. With me? So think about this idea of relationship. You want to have a conversation, and in the conversation, you're listening for what your partner is saying. When you, when you listen for God, there's a couple of ways, at least I've noticed, that God actually communicates with us. You are very blessed if you hear the audible voice of God. It's happened to me once in my lifetime. I'll never forget it. I've had friends that's happened too, but for the vast majority of us, it doesn't happen very often. It would be easier if we got the audible voice of God, right? Or burning bush, burning bush, that would be awesome, yes! Then I know it's from God, and then if it's crazy, you know, or an angel, an angel could show up. The point is, is that very often it's not something that dramatic. Very often it's just an impression that I get, or a sense that I have, or a feeling that kind of overtakes. Any of you experienced that before? We just kind of notice, like, mm, there's something going on here. God's up to something. It's that impression, and we're listening for that impression. And by the way, when you get that impression and you act on it, <clears throat> it becomes easier to sense that the next time. They build on each other. It's a faith thing, okay? This is skill building. You have to actually exercise <clears throat> that skill of, of listening now, if we're to uh, intercede for others, and I think that we are, um, maybe we could check with God on how to pray. Because we're listening, right? So if somebody comes to you and asks you, hey, would you pray for me about whatever it is, fill in the blank. It might be a good idea to say, God, how, how do I best pray for this? How do I, how do I best pray for this? Now, first of all, it's always good to ask God for relief, you know, relief from pain and suffering, from illness and disease, oppression, from bad circumstances. It's always a good idea. But maybe, just maybe, your prayer isn't just for relief, but it's also endurance for that person to get through it. Because God might be using those circumstances, God might be using that to teach them something. Does that make sense? Or here's another possibility. Oh, this one's going to make you squirm a little bit. Maybe, maybe you should pray about what your role is. You might be the answer to that prayer. There might be something that you can do to help that person out. So pray for guidance in your intercession. Does that make sense? Because you might be that answer to prayer. Oh, no, it can't be me. No, really, it might be. It might be you. And God might be more interested in, in that. Um, used to be a practice within churches and, and uh, other Christian things where we would take uh, prayer requests from the, from the floor. Uh, we, we don't do that um, here for a variety of different reasons, but one of the things that always troubled me is um, when someone would say, well, I need prayer for Aunt Mabel's um, next-door neighbor, Phyllis's cat. And I always would think to myself, like, okay, it's not that, you know, 
Aunt Mabel and her next-door neighbor, Phyllis, and the cat don't need prayers. I'm not saying that. The problem is I don't have any relationship to them at all. And so what I often do is I often pray for Aunt Mabel to learn how she might be able to minister to Phyllis and the cat or the family or whatever it happens to be. Now, I'm, I'm making a joke here, but I think you understand the point that I'm trying to make here is that when somebody asks me for prayer, very often I pray for that person and what their role is in it because they might be the answer to that prayer. You tracking with me? Just a little, hey, that was a freebie. We got a freebie today. So keep that one in mind. Ultimately, the best way to learn how to pray is to uh, pray. Um, the great uh, American pragmatist, a philosopher named John Dewey, talks about the difference between knowledge and knowing. So, I can tell you everything you need to know about how to ride a bicycle. And you will know how to ride a bicycle. You'll have the knowledge of that, but you won't really know how to ride a bicycle until you actually sit on the bicycle and start pedaling. Prayer is like that. I can teach you all I can about theoretical prayers. There's a variety of different prayers. We'll probably hit on this a couple of times this year. We'll talk about prayer. We'll engage in some prayer things. But really, ultimately, you need to pray if you want to learn how to pray. So let me address, finally, some anxiety associated with prayer. Let me give you this quote. Here's Richard Foster. Um, wrote a great book called The Celebration of Discipline. I got it from this book. Sometimes we are afraid that we do not have enough faith to pray for this child or that marriage. But the Bible tells us that miracles are possible through faith the size of a mustard seed, which is really, really tiny. Usually the courage to actually go and pray for a person is a sign of sufficient faith. Oh boy, that's good news, isn't it? Now notice this. Frequently our lack is not faith, but compassion. It's not that we lack faith that God can do something. We don't have enough compassion to actually get us over the hump of going and praying with somebody. But what if they say no? What if I offer to pray with them and they say no? You know what? Here's my experience. <clears throat> this is my own personal experience. Compassion is the key. I'm not comfortable with it. I get that because they may say no but very few people refuse prayer. In my own experience, very few people. And it's not because of my job. So I have a friend that I met in art school, and um, he's now working for some company out in Silicon Valley. <clears throat> and I saw on Facebook, it was a couple years ago, um, that he and his girlfriend broke up. And I had met his girlfriend. Um, I thought they were probably heading to get married at some point. I had no idea, but they were kind of that sort of couple. And uh, as far as I know, my friend was not a Christian at all. In fact, I think he's more agnostic than anything else. Bright guy. I mean, easily top 20, 25 bright people I've ever met in my life. And I just sent him a quick note on Facebook, and I said, hey, I saw your post about breaking up with your girlfriend. I'm so sorry. I know that's painful. I'm praying for you. Now, I expected nothing back. I, I, didn't, I, I didn't know what he was going to say. I got a note back probably within about 20 minutes. He said, man, you have no idea how much that means to me. Very few people refuse prayer. I was at um, 
uh, when I went to seminary uh, in central Kentucky, I got a job when we first got there working as an accountant for a racehorse training facility, which is not nearly as cool as it sounds, okay? <laughs> I'm just saying. Um, but the person that hired me, uh, I was there about two or three weeks, and she needed to go and find another job for various reasons, and I was sitting across, across the, the desk from her, and um, I didn't know where she was in her faith journey at all, but she goes, yeah, this is, this is going to be tough and challenging because she was telling me that she was going to leave. And I, I, for whatever reason, I just felt prompted. And I said, hey, can I pray for you? And she said, uh, yeah. And I said, right now? <laughs> you know, because, you know, I... And she said, yeah. And it looked at me like I grew a second head, but that's okay. I'm used to that look. And I just said, I said, okay. And so I, I just prayed for her. And when we were done, she's crying. And she said, thank you, I needed that. Very few people refuse prayer. When you pray for them, it means that you care. Again, it's like having a conversation with three people. The third person happens to be Jesus. Let's bring him in on this. Right? So, very few people refuse prayer. But sometimes we have to have enough compassion to actually do it. And by the way, if they say no, that's on them. That's not on you. It's only awkward if you make it awkward. Right? It's not on you, it's on them. Now, here's the other question, the anxiety. What if I pray for somebody and it doesn't work? <gasps> what if I pray for healing and they're not healed? You know, you may have to adjust your prayer a little bit. That might be, we're free to do that because we're learning. But also, here's the point. Keep this in mind. If you don't take credit for an answered prayer, you never have to take blame for an unanswered prayer. Let that one sink in. If you don't take the credit for something happening, you don't have to take the blame if it doesn't. Bottom line. So, like the t-shirt says, keep calm, pray on. Okay? Keep that in mind. Here's the reality. This is, this is what's at stake right here. 1 Corinthians, Paul's letter to this church. We are co-workers in God's service. We are co-laborers with God in some translations. And, and, and Richard Foster is adamant. And I think he's very right when he says this. I think he's following John Wesley, that God does nothing that is not an answer to prayer. And he writes, we are working with God to determine the future. Think about that. When we pray, we are working with God to determine the future. Not everything is set. The universe is wide open. Does God have foreknowledge? Of course he has foreknowledge. But the point is, God moves when his people pray, and we are tasked with the job of actually co-laboring with him to determine the future. That's kind of exciting, isn't it? I mean, when you think about it, this is not the way it has to be. We Christians are supposed to change the world by prayer. I don't understand it. Again, God works through human prayer. He doesn't need to, but he does. We get to do this, and yet it's the one thing that most are like, eh, I just don't feel like praying. I'm guilty of that too. But the point is, is that this is big stuff. Remember, the whole purpose of Thrive Church from the very beginning is that we are joining God in rescuing the world one disciple at a time, and we get to start that process through prayer. So, here's my challenge for you. 
Here's my challenge. I'm going to challenge every person here to pray with someone this week. <gasps> All right, now, now it's going to get real. Double dog dare you. Boom, there it is. Pray with someone this week. Intercede for them so that they can hear you. Try it. My guess is that if you ask God for some guidance, God, who do you want me to pray for? Don't be surprised if he gives you an answer. Because God is laboring with us to change the world. So when you ask God, who do I need to pray for? That's a dangerous prayer. Dangerous prayer. But it's a lot of fun too. Because things happen and you go, what? That's what discipleship is supposed to be. 